Hi everyone, welcome back to the Strongway Venture Capital Podcast. Today we have joining us Michael Wong, who is the co-founder and chief operating officer at Y Closet. Previously, Michael was at KKR and IDG Capital, which is also invested in the company. And it's quite funny, I mean, I met Michael uh, years ago, and we were both uh, interviewing for Morgan Stanley in Hong Kong, so I'm really glad to be sitting here uh, on a couch with him at his office in the exciting realm of technology. So, Michael, thanks for joining us. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Adam. Um, so, yeah, we've known each other for a long time, <laughs> and it's great to see you again. Yeah, so, yeah. hi, everyone. My name is Michael. And just a little bit of background about myself. I actually grew up in China, and then I finished my high school in Guangzhou before um, going to Berkeley to study my undergrad there. And uh, I, I major in applied math and industrial engineering. And then after I graduated, I just came straight back to China and worked for um, KKR, which is the leading private equity firm uh, from the U.S., and I spent two years there, and we mainly co- cover late-stage uh, private equity investment, and also some uh, we do a lot of deals into public companies as well. So basically, I think that was a very uh, interesting and a great learning experience. But uh, after two years, I felt that I I am actually more passionate about innovation and you know disruptive technology and new business model. So I've actually decided to you know, move on to, to do venture capital. So that's why I joined IDG, which is a, the first uh, foreign venture capital firm in China that's been around for more than 20 years and invests in actually uh, two of the BAT, um, Baidu and Tencent. Uh, it's also the uh, first uh, couple investors in, in Xiaomi as well. So uh, I did uh, two years of venture capital in IDG. And then um, White Closet was actually the company I invested in uh, in 2016 doing their Series A plus round. And um, so the reason that I invest in the company is because we we've look at very uh, many sharing economy companies in China. And if you look at uh, you know, DD, and then uh, also uh, you know uh, in also in the accommodation area, just Airbnb. And then also, uh, like in the food industry, there's, uh, you know, and then also these type of uh, food delivery companies, then we felt that maybe in the apparel market, there might be something going on, even though, uh, you know, uh, in the US, we've also had the same same business model there, and that's doing relatively well as well. So we felt that maybe for a early stage investor, there's something we can we can do there. And so we've looked at uh, pretty much all the companies in that sector at that time. And later we decided to invest in this company. So and very interesting, After shortly after we closed the deal, like one month later, then the company, we, I've actually been talking to the founder about uh, the strategy of the company and then the, you know, the operating metrics that we should look at. And, you know, and then suddenly the, com- the, com- the founder of the company asked me, many times to join the company with her because she felt that we are you know, actually very complimentary. And she's more like, a, uh, she has a 12 years in experience in the fashion industry. And, but uh, she thinks that this business is actually very operational heavy and also needs a lot of uh, you know, thoughts in, in the strategy fund as well. So she invited me to join. And for me, because I've always been a big fan of entrepreneurship, and I actually started my own company before I graduated. I took a gap year before I graduated in Berkeley. 
So um, I also, you know, as as you guys know, then Berkeley is actually surrounded by a very, a very good uh, startup environment in Silicon Valley. So I felt that maybe uh, at this age, and it's probably the right time for me to take some risk and to really experience something different. So that's why I joined the company as a co-founder last year, and uh, to really, uh, uh, to really spend time and building the company. Yeah, right now we're um, past Series B, and then we're we're close to raising uh, another round. So yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Michael, for the <clears throat> introduction and your backstory. So before we uh, get to White Closet, I wanted to ask you about um, your your move into this company from VC side. So is that commonplace in China? I mean, we see that happening, you know, not just here but around the world. But um, you know, based on my short time here, it seems like there's a lot more career investors in China, even in the VC realm. So tell us a little bit more about that transition. Right, I actually, I, I actually think that it's not very common because uh, if I if I look at my colleagues in IDG, and then from the past three to five years, there's very few of them that actually uh, have the ball to actually take on the startup uh, venture. Because uh, if you look at the personality of these two type of people, uh, investors and entrepreneurs, investors they tend to be more. Uh, Risk averse, right? They when they do when they make investments, they tend to diversify their portfolio. But uh, for entrepreneur, they have to you know go all in to the company the first day, right? So I think for lo- lo- most of the people, the opportunity costs are too high, and you know doing a startup is too too much risk, especially when you join in a very early stage uh, as the co-founder. Then the chance of you you know getting to the next Round and you know even making to the IPO stage is very very low, and that's why if you've been if been if you've been in the venture capital industry for a long long time, then you you've seen so much failure, you've seen so many examples that uh, maybe start well but you know don't end very well. So I I think people tend to get more risk averse after they stay in this industry for a long time. So when I actually first joined the VC industry, my uh, my colleague told me then if you stay here for more than two years then you never want to start up <laughs> yeah because gotcha. you've just seen too many uh, failure examples yeah yeah, yeah. well let's hope the, the younger cohort of uh, more optimistic naive uh, investors you know give this a shot because I think from a VC like from a VC platform uh, standpoint you see so many companies you see different sectors you understand what are the key success factors so it seems that that type of um, individual will be very valuable for a startup, especially early stage. Right. Um, so yeah, it's really cool what you're doing at White Closet. So yeah, tell us a little bit more about White Closet, Michael. So what do they do? Uh, what do they sell? What are the, the, the key next steps for you guys? Right. So uh, White Closet, uh, we are right now the largest fashion rental company in China. And then we we got our inspiration actually from uh, Render Runway in the U.S., but we sort of adapted into the local environment. And we are a subscription company, so users can pay uh, 4.99 RMB per month, and they get uh, unlimited access to our sort of a cloud closet that we built uh, in China, and they can make. Uh, unlimited orders every month and each order can only be up to three items so on average our user can wear 12 items a month and you know compare with like 499 they can probably only buy as one dress from Zara so that's sort of the experience that we are offering and we've been growing you know, very fast right now we have uh, you know, up to a million users 
and we are still uh, you know, sort, of, sort of doubling it every couple of months. So I think this is a very interesting startup, um, although in China, then people are still, uh, we are still trying to educate people why they, they should and they can and wear uh, secondhand clothes. But I think, um, you know, we, we would never imagine this happening five years ago. But right now, it seems that everybody's uh, getting more and more receptive to sharing economy. So I think that's a good timing for us. Okay. You bring up an interesting point that you couldn't see this happening five years ago in China. But uh, Rent the Runway, if, if I'm correct, I think it was back in 2010 it was when they started. And they've been doing you know, quite well for the, the past uh, seven years. So can you tell us a little bit more about the, the difference between both markets? Is it a, a cultural thing? Um, you know, what, what drives that difference? Yeah, I think that's a very good question. We, um, we, we so pretty much need to answer this every time we talk to any investors, any partners. I think Rent the Runway is a great business. It, um, it was started, I think, in 2009 or yeah, or 2008, long time ago. And I think that was even before Airbnb and, and Uber. So I think um, the value proposition of Rent a Runway, I think is very suitable for, for US market uh, because they, like the product that they offer are mostly you know, gowns and you know, party dresses that you actually need on special occasions. And in the US, um, there's a lot of these type of special occasions and, and, and that's why I think their value proposition is strong. And then, you know, it doesn't make sense for you to buy it. You, you only need it once and you don't want to wear the same thing next time. So I think there's definitely a very strong demand. But uh, however, if you look at this business, the difficulties is also very obvious. Demand is seasonal. It usually happens, you know, during, during, during year end. Or or, or, or or during the summer, right? Uh, when there's a lot of uh, you know high school proms and you know wedding parties and this type of occasions. But if you look at the supply, it has to be all year, right? The dress has to be sitting in the warehouse for the entire year. But the demand is seasonal, so that makes it difficult for you to uh, operate this business and and to scale up this business. And also, there's another reason because the frequency of the purchase is definitely low. If you if you only addressing the, this type of uh, occasional wear market and that would just uh, you know sort of uh, limited your, your your market but i think uh, we are taking a different approach in china there's not much a demand for sort of occasional wear uh, because uh, most of the events they don't have dress code and even if they do like most people don't follow them anyways except in in shanghai where where the city the population is a lot more westernized and the rest of China, there's very little demand for, for special wear market, for this type of occasional, occasional dress market. Um, that's why our subscription model, it's mainly targeting um, daily wear. We're targeting you know, fast fashion um, daily wear market uh, where people can you know, wear to work, they can wear you know, during weekend, they can also wear to party. So we, I think that our value proposition, it's, it's really uh, targeted people that have limited budget, but they want to you know, change clothes, they want to you know, try new styles. Um, so I think that the market that we are targeting are very different. But also I know that uh, Rent the Runway, they've started their subscription model last year as well. It's been growing quite fast. So I hope both of us will do well in, in with this new model. Mm-hmm. Cool, thanks for that, Michael. And just drill a little bit deeper. So you say that this is more daily wear subscription model so is the point for the user to try something new and you know, if they like it they will actually buy it separately yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, that's actually a very big part of our, our business model. If you only do um, occasional stuff, then there's no point for you to buy anyways, right? Because um, that's the only reason you're not buying. <laughs> so, but for daily wear, people actually see us not just a platform for them to rent clothes, but a place for them to try different things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when they try try different styles, when they try you know good very uh, good products from the designers that they don't normally know, then you know they tend to keep them after they buy like it. So because yeah. they can, you know, still wear it uh, afterwards, they can, you know, choose to uh, keep it to themselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think that's a big part of our business model. It, uh, you know, generate profit easily and it has a very good cash flow. Uh, so we are promoting that uh, strongly within our platform. And I think that makes it very different from a traditional rental model. So we position ourselves more like a subscription-based e-commerce company that, uh Bridges brands and designer uh, with our customers. Mm-hmm. Understood. So, as a subscription type business, uh, where you get shipped, you know, clothing every single month, that makes sense and it seems to be a very exciting proposition for the users. But in terms of logistics from your end, can you talk? Can you walk us through how you operate that? Because it's you know, what was the twelve different types of clothing per month? Right. And need to ship back and forth. That seems quite difficult. Yeah, it's actually. Uh, we sh- we have four orders per month, so you get oh, you okay. basically receive one box every week, and then here's one big difference between us doing the subscription model and run the runway. Um, if you look at the cost of this business, mostly the costs are logistics, like the del- delivery costs, and we estimate that our delivery costs is only account for. Uh, less than 25%, less than 20% of our, of our monthly subscription fee. But uh, for Run the Runway, and that percentage is much higher because the logistics in U.S. is you know six times more expensive than China and experience is even worse. So I think that's really uh, helpful for, for us to do this business in China. If you have a very high logistics cost, it's very difficult to make money. And the unit economics would be just very bad because you're wasting so much money shipping the clothes back and forth. In the U.S., you mentioned it's more expensive. Why is that? Is it because the the cost of delivery is higher? Oh, yep. Or is it because the I suppose the density plays a role as well? Yeah, I think the density place. is the issue. That's why uh, the e-commerce infrastructure in U.S. is generally worse than China. Like, because in China, most of the people are. Uh, sort of the in in the cities, right? They're more populated, mm-hmm. and then in the U.S., they're the cities are more spread out, right? Mm-hmm. So logistics logistics cost is all about density. If you have that high density, then you're able to mm-hmm. lower the cost. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, like I said, the, the delivery cost is the key component of this business, and that would significantly change the unit economics of this business model. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I know we've been talking about white closet versus rent to one runway. So it's helpful to see the U.S.-China differences. But uh, what about some of the local competitors you guys uh, play against? I think there was the what, uh, Miss Paris, yep. Dora, Dora. Mm-hmm. Yep. Could you walk us through some of these um, competitors and how you guys position yourselves against them? Right. Well, I think um, I think luckily we actually see fewer competitors in this space than the other, uh, you know, tech 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 companies in China because uh, if you look at this business, the business is actually very very operational intensive and capital intensive and that's plays a big challenge for startups and because if, if you do this model then you have actually 
need you need to have a lot of inventory to start with, and then you need to have a very good uh, reverse logistics system. You need to own your own uh, your dry cleaning facility, and that's a big challenge for a lot of the startups to, you know, uh, to 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 have so much capital in need. And then uh, for our competitors, uh, we actually have very different propositions. Uh, Miss Paris, they started in Shanghai, and then they're targeting more of the um, special occasion market, more like a render runway. So they're basically like copying the render runway model from day one, but we are taking a different approach. And then the other competitor is called Dora Stream, and they've actually started in Chengdu, and they target third four tier cities with very uh, limited income and their monthly fees is half of us. So we think that uh, the unit economics for them is not working out very well because logistics, logistics cost is the same for both of us. And then if we charge uh, twice as much as they charge, then we can have a much better margin than, than, than them. So I think that's uh, basically the competitive th- dynamics of these two mm-hmm. players. And we target different markets and we have a, a yeah. little bit different uh, strategies. But I think over the long term, then this market is large enough for a couple players. Got it, got it. So, so it sounds like at least currently amongst these disruptive kind of smaller startup players, mm-hmm. you're, you're addressing a relatively larger market yep. size. Uh, and these other Doris Dream and Miss Paris are kind of more niche plays right now that also capture opportunity. Oh, exactly. do, do you see this market consolidating over time? Well, I think uh, they will definitely consolidate, but I don't think there will be one player left. Um, I, but to be honest, I think this is this market, this model itself is being over is being undervalued by the uh, investors, and so we are not raising enough eyeballs as as the share sharing bikes. So I think uh, I actually want them to do well because otherwise, uh, you know, there will be us raising the eyeballs and mm-hmm. raising fund yeah. and attention from the investors yeah, and yeah. if all of us do well if all of us get good funding mm. then I, I guess it will attract more attention from both the uh, public and uh, and also the VC world yeah yeah no that that makes sense kind of think of it as a co-opetition where yeah. all boats rise right exactly <laughs> okay well so moving beyond the, the smaller competitors what about some because you mentioned that that white closet is kind of a sharing economy company yep. business but also seems to have a lot of e-commerce components as well. Yep. So can you talk a little bit more about some of the larger e-commerce players like Alibaba, JD, etc., and how do, how do they fit into the picture? Yeah, I think that's another good question as well because in China, like if, if you ever want to do a startup in the e-commerce world, then that's the same question that people will ask you over and over again. How do you compete with JD? How do you compete with Ali? That's extremely difficult because... Uh, like over the years, there's many startups that try to you know cut a share from these two guys, but all, like almost all of them fail. And I think the the key the key value of this business is is that you have to provide a very different experience to our customers, and it has to be under under very different, very unique operational uh, model, right? Because I think for us, the very interesting part of it is the reverse logistics system in our company is like the most powerful one in China. We own like the we own one of the three largest dry cleaning facility in the country. And we have to learn this from zero because nobody has this experience and there's no like centralized cleaning facility in China. And I think that's a very 
it's actually a very strange know-how that we pick up because we never thought we would be into this industry when we first started this company. But uh, it's also a place a very high entry barrier for the other players, also the other uh, e-commerce players, because um, their model are entirely different. They, they Alibaba, it's a it's a marketplace model, and they don't own they don't own uh, delivery guys, they don't own you know, warehouse, and they're the pure marketplace. Where right. JD is more like a uh, you know more like a uh, off online to offline. A retail model. They own their own warehouse. They have a very strong logistics system uh, in the entire country, and so they are more. Uh, they are sort of a more heavier model than Alibaba, but their cost is also higher, and their their growth speed is actually you know, definitely not as strong as uh, Alibaba because because the, the the heavy model. So I think uh, we're a different model because we tackle the fashion industry using the rental model. Uh, I often tell this to 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 investors and. We are like a um, rental company. It's like a car rental company than a car retailer. They're fundamentally different operating models, and so they, they don't compete with each other. Even they want to compete with each other, it's difficult for a car retailer company to enter into the car rental space because mm-hmm. the car rentals company, they have a very unique operating model. So I think that's that's why we think uh, we our entry barrier is high for 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 new entrants and for these big players as well. So right. we just need to continue to build out this business and to scale this business up. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, I, I'm gonna push a little bit further because I think when you look at take a U.S. comparable Amazon, uh, they're a uh, you know they're they do a lot of different things. They're an e-commerce company. They also have the AWS kind of server infrastructure. Mm-hmm. They recently acquired a Whole Foods. Yep. which is something that was really hard for them to create by themselves. So that strategy required them for over $13 billion. And I think uh, in China, and again, you look at the, the BAT, let's look at Alibaba, uh, JD, uh, they have their fingers in a lot of different areas as well. And, and ultimately for these platforms, uh, they want to diversify. They want to maximize uh, access to consumer attention, consumer demand. I mean, at least it seems to me that it very well could be a future where a large player wants to, instead of building up their, their own uh, you know, function when it comes to sharing dresses and other articles of clothing, uh, acquire and then as a result add that to their entire um, uh, service offerings. I mean, any initial views on that? Is that too far in the future? Yeah, I think I agree with that because uh, I think that's very different from five to ten years ago because I remember five to ten years ago, these uh, the BATs and the, the, the gigantic comp- internet companies in China, they tend to copy the small models they tend to copy the startups and build it themselves but now they realize there's too much for them to do and it doesn't make sense for you to do everything yourself then sometimes if you have a good team if you you, you have a good target that's that's doing very well in their sector then it makes more sense to you for you to work with them and 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 to invest in them instead but i think ali alibaba takes they takes on a very different approach than tencent or jd because um, from my understanding, Alibaba tends to gain, gain control of the company and they tend to you know, really look at the company from a strategic perspective. Um, so they tend to actually enter the company in a later stage than uh, different, from, different from Tencent. The Tencent, they do a lot of passive investment. Most of them, they invest in when they're very little. So I think these two companies, they use different strategies, but they all want to sort of uh, go into a different space um, not trying to do everything themselves and work with uh, you know superstar entrepreneurs 
and to try to sort of incorporate this into their own ecosystem. Okay, got it. Yeah, thanks for that. It's a really helpful perspective to have when looking at your business and the landscape, how it might evolve over time. So bringing it back to your company, I mean, actually earlier when I walked in, I noticed uh, a couple of very familiar faces. So mm-hmm. there's uh, you know, Doris, uh, yep. who was at Michael Kors in the yep. U.S. There was you know, Dora, also a buyer from, from New York, and uh, I think Fenkel uh, was a, is a new hire for you guys. So help me understand, there's so many folks from the U.S. that you bring back over to China. Why is that? Right. Um, we have been bringing a lot of uh, very good talent from the U.S. during the past year um, after I joined. Uh, because I think, first of all, this is a very interesting business model. Um, like a lot of girls will find this company extremely enjoyable to work in. And then, because we do we deal with so many uh, like designer brands and we, we go to a fashion show every, every, every month. And I think this is a good place to work and with a good team. And then uh, I think the reason why we are getting more uh, talent from the U.S. is because we were very actively reaching out to these guys. Uh, for example, for, for Doris, and I've known her for two years. And then ever, ever since I joined this company, I've been persuading her to join. And then finally, she decided to join this company. But I, I, I have to say that a lot of this, it actually takes time. It really, it really takes time for, for, for the folks in the U.S. to consider opportunities and to make big decisions because a lot of a lot of them they spend a long time in the U.S. They're very they're very uh, comfortable with the environment in the U.S. But uh, if they uh, decide to leave everything they have and to come back to China, it's a big decision for them. So it really takes time. It takes um, sincerity because you have to really show your, your ambition, show your uh, invitation, and then. T- to to also to let them know how how you want to build a company and how how they can fit into this company so it takes a lot of communication as well but i think more importantly these guys they actually really reach out to our company very actively for example we have one uh, hire from the boston and she went to wellesley and then she did two years of consultant in, in boston she actually just searched render runway in china on Google, and then she found us, and she emailed us, and she asked us if she, if she she can do an interview here. So we said, yeah, of course. Then she just literally took a weekend off, and flew to China, and met with us, and quick the day we gave him gave him the offer. So I think that wow. really takes <laughs> courage because like we we've, we've never known each other before, and then it was a very short time for for her to make the decision, but I really like how she's. Very active, uh, very very actively reaching out to the co- companies that she likes, and then she takes actions and she come to us and talk to us and she make very quick decisions. So I think that's very important because a lot of time it's not about us making the decision. It's for, it very easy for us to hire good people from the U.S., but usually it's the it's the people that have to make this decision. They are taking too long. They're you know hesitating. They haven't really thought them through. So I think if you ha- if you really make your decision, then it's actually very easy for you to mm-hmm. give up what you have in the U.S. Because China, there's so many opportunities here. Mm-hmm. I always tell my friends, just don't think about too much. Just quit first, and then you come <laughs> back, and then you, you 
you will very easily find in- interesting opportunities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's really, uh, well, it's quite inspiring. I think it uh, probably depends on the type of person and the risk profile, but yeah. I do agree there's a lot of opportunity in China. So, you know, given that our audience is uh, primarily a global audience, you know, from US, UK, other countries, um, do you have, for folks who actually want to climb up to China and work here, maybe at White Closet, mm-hmm. do you have a message for them or any suggestions on how to go about, uh, how to go about doing it? If they don't want to just quit their job and come over, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think first of all, definitely be ready for challenge because in, in China, doing startup is difficult even for um, Chinese, but not to mention for for people that are not familiar with this market. So definitely, uh, mentally, be mentally ready, and then secondly, uh, find some friends. Yeah, it's very important for you to have some Chinese friends that can you know, guide you through the process and to tell you more about China and to help you with the uh, you know the lifestyle of everything here in China that's important as well and then uh, also you need to have passion in what you do and if you really have passion like I actually got emails from an Indian and then obviously he's uh, he's very he, he, he paid very closely attention to uh, render runway as well but he really think that this model can take off in China and can take off much faster than the rest of the world. So he wants to join us simply because he's passionate about this model. And then, uh, to be honest, I actually don't know what he can do. But his passion really, really inspired me and that I really want to work with this guy and listen to what he say. So I think, uh, like I said, very important. It's very important for you to have passion in what you do and to really show the um, Chinese companies that you know this business, you've actually spent on this, spend time on this business, and you can offer some advice or experience that that no one else can offer. Those those are the three suggestions yeah, that I yeah, want to yeah. give. No, those are critical traits for sure, and I think especially increasingly these days, learning Chinese and at least making yep. an attempt to improve your Chinese is very very critical. I recall, you know, maybe ten years ago. Coming out to China, there were a number of expats, and you know, you get by with, with just English, mm-hmm. uh, and it was fine. But I think these days, there are still opportunities for kind of complete expats without a, a Chinese background. But uh, increasingly, a lot of the the top the top companies, uh, they have very talented folks who graduate from local universities. I mean, some of them go abroad to study and come back, but still, they have very very good Chinese, good understanding of Western culture and what's happening globally. So. Again, definitely encourage people to come out to China, mm-hmm. but uh, make an attempt to learn Chinese because increasingly uh, the the primary language here. I'm trying to do that myself as well. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Michael, last question for you. Um, as we look ahead to White Closet's growth over the next uh, quarter or several quarters, you know, what can you tell us about what you guys are, uh, what do you guys have planned, and what your um, what your key objectives are? Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, good to answer that question. Well, first of all, we are going to scale this business up, uh, meaning that we will continue to grow. Our target is to grow, uh, you know, ten times over one year, and I think that's a very big target. But uh, I'm very confident we can achieve that. And as I said, we don't position ourselves as a rental company. We position ourselves as a retail company that uh, really connects the brands and with our customers. So I think in the next 12 months that we we really want to work with more uh, prestigious uh, designers and brands. And then we want to introduce this new sort of a rent-to-buy model to them. And so they don't have to limit themselves to 
you know, either opening offline stores that's you know operational heavy and takes a lot of capital and time, and also risk is high as well, or are going to on online e-commerce market where the competition is high and the user acquisition cost is high as well. So we want to provide them a third channel uh, with this rent-to-buy model. And so the, actually the designers, the brands, they can offer their products to um, their customers to try first before they want to buy. So I think that's something we want to do in the next 12, in the next 12 months. We don't, think, um, we don't think we are just a rental company. We really want to work with uh, every, every brand in the world, every, every designer in the world. We want to be a true marketplace for uh, fashion brands and a true unlimited shopping mall unlimited um, closet for our customers so they can actually uh, try anything they want before they buy it. That's what, That would be our main plan for the next 12 months. Okay. Well, thanks very much, Michael. Wish you and White Closet well. I think it's an incredible business based on what I hear and I think uh, we'll be very successful. Right. So thanks for your time. Thanks a lot, guys.